just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schneck, joined by two gentlemen who are uh, really good dudes and a really cool company doing some amazing things. I've actually had the pleasure of interviewing one of these guys before, so it was obvious that we need to get them back because they got a really cool story doing some really impactful work. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Let's welcome back to the show, Gary Spinks, a co-founder with Bug Insights. Gary, welcome back. Good morning. We're glad to be back. Well, it's good to have you. We're also joined by Tim Gloa, also a co-founder with Bug Insights. Tim, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate you making time. I know you guys are uh, busy building a really cool company and it's going very well. We'll talk about that a little bit. So I appreciate you making time to join me. Before we do that, however, uh, be sure the audience is familiar with a bit about you and your background. So Gary, let's start with you. Yeah. So my background is I was hired by one of the large HR consulting firms back in 1997, Hewitt Associates. Bounced around within the industry a few years. Ended up back at Hewitt Associates for the last probably 10 years ago. Was a partner there and really thought highly of the firm, some of the technologies they were using, techniques, good exposure to how organizations, HR functions, what's some of the weaknesses, what's some of the strengths, who are the dynamic players in this field that really care about their employees, who are the ones that just kind of have the cattle churn. And decided that looking at market research as a different industry and how they collect data on their consumers is completely appropriate in the human resources space if you want to apply those same fundamentals and techniques to collect that same information, which is better information than anyone's ever collected in this space before around the employees. So with that, took a couple of years to, to finally jump off the cliff to see if the wings work, but they work. We've been in business now for over a year and it's, it's been very sustainable. We're meeting with companies that, you know, most people have all their brands in their home and we're having in-depth conversations that are, are, you know, just who knew they would go this far this fast. That's very, very cool. Tim, talk us through uh, you and your background. Well, thank you, Todd. I worked with Gary at, at Hewitt Associates for a number of years, really trying to help organizations better understand their employees design better programs for their employees, figure out what it takes to engage and, and retain them, and in some cases, even attract employees as well. Prior to that, I worked in the marketing analytics space. So I'm kind of the numbers guy in our firm. And I think really what we do now is really apply a lot of the analytics in marketing that's been common in marketing for a long time. Marketers use a ton of data to make fact-based decisions, and they've been doing that for a long time. We bring that now into the HR space so that we can help organizations make fact-based decisions about the people, figure out what it takes to engage employees, what it takes to retain employees, attract employees, reward employees, and then what sort of outcome you might expect on the back end. What's the return for investing in your people? Outstanding. All right. Both of you touched on it, but just to be sure the audience is very clear, give us the 10,000-foot view of Bug Insights. What do you do? How do you serve your market? So we serve two markets, actually, and that is what I was mentioning earlier. We serve as a market research firm where we work with organizations on how their consumers are going to buy their products, their services. And we also work in the human resources spaces. The same thing, 
We serve clients on how are they best going to meet the needs of their employees and how can meeting the needs of their employees actually differentiate them from others in their industry. Now, those two industries, market research and human resources, are completely different. Market research is a very fast, nimble organization where something comes up, we need this in this week and we need it done by last week. Human resources is a lot more strategic in the long term. Like we're building three to five year plans. So our data is really good for capturing a snapshot now to start building those plans and then as a act as a baseline a year and a half, two years later to see how are those plans that we're building towards actually working. So, and again, like we said in the introductions, my background has always been in human resources or human capital consulting and Tim's has been in market research and it's been a, a really good marriage to kind of intertwine those two businesses together. Yeah, no, it's very cool. Uh, Tim, pre-show, one of you said something like, we're meeting a need that's not in the market. And certainly the marketplace is familiar with data analytics and marketing Mm -hmm. analytics and all that, but is it the human capital analytics? Because a lot of people aren't familiar with that. Well, so even I think in in the marketing space, there's a lot of surveys that organizations Mm -hmm. do. Poorly. Poorly. And frankly, they are poorly. You you get a grid of questions. uh, You you find out that 80% of people are looking for something or other or satisfied with something or other. It's really not in many cases actionable, right? You know, you've got this great, you know, this data, poor data. If you ask people directly what's most important to them about any product that they buy or any benefit that they get as an employee, they're going to tell you everything's important, right? If you're trying to design something better, if you're trying to make a better widget or design a better computer, give better employee benefits, when everything's important to you, to your audience, how do you action that? And that's typically the data that you get in market research today. What we do is we do something that's a little bit more predictive. We use a trade-off analysis. It's, It's called conjoint. But it mirrors the decision-making process that we make every day, right? I might like to have, I might describe the ideal car as being a $10,000 Ferrari, right? If I could have my dream car, that would be it. I want the best of everything and I want to pay anything for it. It's not actually, it's not practical, right? We have to make trade-offs every day in our real life. And that's what we do both on the marketing side and on the HR side is we understand the trade-offs that people make. And by understanding that, we can then help organizations design and optimize their either their marketing products or their people benefits. Let me ask each of you to comment on this. I think the timing of what you're building here is very, very critically important because I think we're at a new dawn and a new age on a real focus of the importance of human capital. We're evolving from a long-term, I'm going to stay at one company career which has been the model for American business for a long, long time, global business for a long, long time. Now we're very much in a project-based career path where human capital is very competitive and there's a lot of intriguing opportunity and it's easier for people to find intriguing gigs or start their own thing. I mean, it's just a different world now. Mm -hmm. And so the kind of work that you're doing, I think is critically important to help an organization plug into that new reality. So we are in a new era of human capital, yes? Absolutely. I think the typical tenure for many employees, especially millennials, is often now at about two to three years. How can you extend that, right? How can you look at, if you recognize that most people are going to be switching every couple of years, how can you extend that by a year? The cost of replacing a person is typically about 30% of their salary, right? So if you can extend the life of, or the tenure of an employee, even by a year, right? Going from two years to three years or three years to four years, you can retain that knowledge. There's a cost advantage to being able to, you know, in productivity and and so on. The other big change that we're starting to see is the change in demographics. Older folks are starting to retire. And as they retire, all the knowledge and all the connections and everything that they had as part of the business is, is going to disappear. 
in many cases, organizations aren't bringing enough millennials onto the payroll, and they're gonna, we're going to find that there's going to be some shortages in skills here very shortly. Well, I interact with a lot of organizations that will admit that they don't really know how to connect to that younger generation of worker, and they're operating under an old school model of HR, if you will. Yeah. Gary, you guys actually talk about treating employees as consumers. What do you mean by that? As we mentioned earlier, it's using the consumer what their need is. You fill a need of the consumer. You're not going to build something that no one wants. Where no one wants a hundred thousand dollar Kia. If if there's a ten thousand dollar Ferrari or hundred thousand dollar Kia, either one of those is not really relevant or possible. In the human capital space, what we're trying to do is, is have organizations look at their employees as like, why would they want to come here and stay here? What are the options they have here that allow them to kind of entrench a little bit of the roots? So if you talk about how competitive human capital space is now for talent, it's only going to get more competitive. And organizations in the past have looked at three, kind of a three-stool prong, and it's been competitive benefits assessment. Like, what is everyone else doing in the market? Everyone else is matching their retirement point at 8%. We should be at 8% because that's what everyone else is. They know the financial impact if they were to shave a percent or add a percent to the retirement. They also know what's their people strategy. It has been, and the people strategy piece has changed a little bit, but it has been, let's keep them on forever. You know, we hire someone, we assume they're staying forever. That's not the case anymore. But like Tim was mentioning, if you can make that person stay one more year, what's the cost impact of your organization? And how do you do that? How do you differentiate a rewards package that makes them stay? Just like consumers listen to the employees. And that's what we do. We allow our tool and our study goes in and we listen to the employees to see what is most important. Is it one more percent in their retirement or actually is it free metro transportation? And that could be a huge deal on why someone stays. And to make those trade-offs gives us much better insightful data than just asking them, like we said earlier, what's important. Everything's important. Because if you ask me, everything's important too. There's nothing that's not important. Cost, quality, it's all the same. You know, just adding to what Gary said, Todd, last week, I don't know if you heard, Netflix publicly released that their their new program for time off is unlimited, right? So every employee, and it's the same policy we have within Bug Insights, every employee can take an unlimited amount of time off, right? You're not limited to two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, as long as you get the job done, right? Netflix also has a program where when you do your performance evaluation, if you're listed as an average employee, you're kind of coached out of the organization. So they really only want high performers, you know, people who are critical to the company and performing at an exceptional level, but they're going to reward them very richly with unlimited time off. Yesterday, they announced a new program, okay? And that's one year of maternity leave for either parent or either the, the man or the woman. These are really cool new programs. They're really addressing the needs of their audience. Instead of giving six weeks off if, if a woman's having a baby, they're going to give folks a year off. That's really listening to it's game changing. That's game changing. You know, Microsoft had to respond very quickly. They're competing for the many, in many cases, the same type of people. Microsoft came out yesterday afternoon and also said our program, our maternity program, is now going to be three months. So they had to match something in the marketplace, and they didn't do it very well. And that's just one example that happened, in, you know, in the last few days. Well, I, this is somewhat relevant, uh, but the story of that guy who salaried every employee at seventy thousand dollars. Remember that story, mm-hmm. and, and he got all kinds of credit and fanfare. Well, this was reported that they're having some severe financial distress. So it's one thing. What I think the difference is with Bug Insights is it's one thing for a bunch of HR guys to sit around a table and say, "Ooh, here, let's whiteboard and let's come up with these ten things we should give our employees." There's real strategy behind it, and that's what the difference is between what you do and what someone who does not use Bug Insights. So walk through, I mean, what's the bigger challenge? I guess another way to ask the question, what's the bigger challenge? Is it recruiting good talent? Is it retaining good talent? Are they equal? And talk about how you can help an organization with those two things. 
I think it's a little bit of both. Different organizations, different industries are naturally going to face different challenges. If you're operating in a call center, it is almost the retention and attraction of new employees. There's always going to be a cycle. Your turnover might be 25 or 35% a year. And that's just sort of natural. Anything that you can do to try to uh, reduce that is going to be incredible, but it's sort of the nature of the business. There's going to be other areas, uh, healthcare, where, where you're looking at nurses, where you really want to retain them. You know, the, there is natural turnover, especially in markets like Houston, which is where we're based. There's a ton of hospital systems in the Houston area, and there's a ton of demand for skilled nurses, typically nurses who have two to five years of experience. We worked with one hospital system there that was experiencing high turnover with nurses with a little bit of experience and a ton of demand. Literally, these nurses could walk across the street and go to another hospital system right across the street, 100 yards away. And we found out that one of their frustrations is that each of these nurses had access to this incredible healthcare system, working with state-of-the-art doctors and state-of-the-art techniques, but they had aging parents who weren't able to get the same level of care. We did a study. We understood the value of that need and designed, recommended that they put in a program in place that says, if we give every single employee for free as part of their benefits, access to any specialist for their parents, right? Once, twice, three times a year. How valuable would that be? It was the equivalent of about 15% of salary, right? So we found a need and they put that program in place. Their turnover was cut in half. Wow. So that's a great example of when you are an organization and you're singularly focused on what is everyone else doing? Because I don't want to be outside the norm. You create an incentive for others to leave earlier or leave easily because you're all in the middle. There's no differentiation. Mm -hmm. That program right there exemplifies how you can reinvest small dollars in resources you already have to slow down retention or retraction. It's just a, a phenomenal study that says we listened and here's the small things we did to change and here's the large impact we had. And that impact isn't only if you're going to measure dollars and cents, that impact also is on the patient. I mean, if you've ever been a patient in the hospital, you know a, a nurse can make or break your experience Absolutely. in the hospital. Yeah, no. Small change, big impact. Yeah, that's what it's all about. All right, Gary and Tim will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpetler.com. All right, I'm back with Gary Spinks and Tim Gloa, co-founders of Bug Insights. So, Gary, walk me through the actual technology itself. Talk about the installation, uh, the training. Uh, let's talk to brass text about how this actually works. So, to Tim mentioned earlier, we use a methodology called conjoint analysis. And what that is, it's been around in market research for decades. And what it is, it makes you make trade-offs. If you have to choose between, do you want more pay or do you want a longer vacation cycle? Which one of those two meets your needs? So, we go through a, a small study where an employee will answer 10 to 12 questions 
And the study takes about, for each employee, 12 minutes to take. And we found that after 15 minutes, the completion rate just kind of drops off the table. People aren't engaged anymore. We get nonsensical answers in the study. But so we're able to take that data and, and we make it very accessible. So we, we, you can take it from your iPhone, your tablet, your computer, whatever technology you may have. And we can accept paper. The world's going away from paper sure. though. Once we take that, we're able to really look at an organization's employees and we can look at it by segment, geography, business union, unionized, non-unionized, however you want to look at it and say, well, here's what's important to the whole. Here's what is important to this segment. Here's what's important to that segment. What are the drivers? We, we identify what the drivers of people's preferences are. Right? What's critical to have versus nice to have? How sensitive and receptive to change are people? So that's the first phase. The second phase is when we're working with organizations, we get the cost data for these different programs. And so we put the cost data and the preference data and we really marry them together. And we use a tool that kind of plots them on an X and Y axis that is built in the 50s around portfolio investments or risk versus returns called the efficient frontier. And we use the same methodology and visual look to say, what are the preferences between employee reward packages and what's that cost them as they move up the efficient frontier? So organizations sit down with us in our study and we allow them to, to model our technology and they can, a myriad of different options they can model. So they love that, right? Like they can say, all right, well, we really want to look at this, this program. What would it be if we took away the sabbatical plan? No one's even using the sabbatical plan. It might not be utilized, but it might be highly valued. Maybe highly utilized, but undervalued. You know, they could fall into the sensical methodology of what's really underutilized and undervalued or overvalued. And we just make them aware of what their employees think. And then we're able to tell them, you know, for a small amount of money or even a cost reduction. And we find that on a typical employer, and this is a range of all industries, like so from hospitality all the way to technology, it could be anywhere between $500 to $1,500 per employee per year is not utilized and spent. So it could be, you could say wasted or you could say not invested optimally. And you start doing the math on that. that that's, I mean, if you took the medium of that, $1,000 for a 2,000 life group, it's $2 million a year. That's a huge impact that you could have. If you had a, a bucket of $2 million in HR that you're now able to spend on other programs that employees prefer or desire more, you've just increased your engagement because you're giving employees something they want. You look like a rock star to the CFO who usually HRs is either very tied to or reports straight up to. And the CEO has to say, all right, so we're spending less money and we're making more people happy who work here. How do I lose in this scenario? Sounds too good to be true. It's not. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it really is a fascinating technology that when organizations sit down and, and, and go through it, they're like, I can't believe we haven't seen this. And really, as you look at rewards as an option for these employees, the whole dynamic has changed, you know, from the early 90s when we had cafeteria plans and people kind of selected and choose and it went against the balance. The future looks like we're going to go to something more like that. And healthcare reform has kind of driven us there. Organizations can't differentiate a lot with their health programs anymore. If you're, if you're too rich, you get the Cadillac tax. If you're not rich enough, you get the minimized tax. So they're, they're all squished in the middle, right? right. So healthcare is not a big differentiation anymore. And if you ask employees, they'll take $6,000 in cash over their health plan. And most health plans cost an organization anywhere from ten dollars to $12,000. So these organizations can really reinvest that money or they can educate their employees mm -hmm. at how good your, your benefits are. So it just creates a, a dynamic opportunity for HR to look really good. And, and a lot of times HR is very reactive. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, their, their budgets are set a year before. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're allowed to do. Or, and we've seen this a number of times, 
here's your budget minus 20%, figure out where you're going to make those cuts. Mm -hmm. And so this tool really opens up their eyes and, and the opportunities to make efficient and optimized cuts. Well, and it's, and we're using data, right? We're using data to make fact-based decisions or we're helping organizations make fact-based decisions. Instead of gut instinct. Instead of gut instinct, right? So if you make a change in your benefit or your reward package, whatever that is, you're going to add some value here, you're going to take some value away over here, how are employees going to respond, right? And that's what we tell them. We typically identify new reward packages that 70, 80% of employees think is better than what they have today and saves anywhere from 500 to 1,000, maybe $1,500 per employee per year. Or That's pretty remarkable. Or cost them no more than they're spending now. Mm-hmm. And you look at how... And being better at recruiting and retention. Yeah, and you look at the example Tim was using earlier about how Microsoft had to react to Netflix. They reacted, but it, it, that's a gut instinct, right? We have to do with what the competition's doing. Let's ask our employees what's important. It might not you know, work there. Yeah, it might not work there. I mean, Microsoft's had huge cuts in the last year. And, it, it, you know, 16,000 people were let go in the, over the last year. Maybe those are the people who are all going to utilize that maternity benefit. Maybe those aren't the people that addresses that need. Yeah, I I would guess that the employee demographics at Microsoft and Netflix are radically different, just in terms of age, in terms of tenure. And culture. Culture and variables. Right? I mean, you can't just take what works at Netflix or take what works at Google and apply it to your organization. you got to deeply understand what your folks are looking for. Yeah. Just like you can't take, you know, a car or a product or something like that that they're trying to do and, and, and move it over here and expect to get the same results. It just doesn't work that way. How quickly are you guys up and running once an organization engages you? How quickly are you making that big impact? Our studies are typically uh, eight to 12 weeks long okay. uh, from the time we come in till the time we're, we're starting to make recommendations. You know, identifying things that are more leverageable, leverageable in terms of benefits and rewards by the time they get to play with our dashboard and, and so on. Another thing I think to think about is as any organization that's looking at rethinking what their reward or what their packages should be that they give to employees, I think it's important to recognize kind of the difference between typical benefits, right? Between life insurance and retirement and health care, as Gary mentioned before, those are very common. In many cases, those are just table stake benefits. Once in a while, you get a Netflix that comes in and really shakes things up. But for the most part, those are very typical, right? And they're very common. They're not all that distinct from one organization to the next. I don't even see them really as benefits because they're expected, right? They're expected, exactly. I mean, that's why they're table stakes, right? I mean, you have to have those. Nobody ever leaves an organization because of the retirement plan or the health plan. Nobody joins an organization. They sort of just, they expect it. The interesting opportunity, um, this is where that hospital did, is to kind of extend beyond that. It also gives you a chance to differentiate, right? To be unique which is a good thing. And many people in the HR space don't want to be distinct and unique. They want to be the same as everybody else. They want to be vanilla, right? But you're not giving your employees any incentive to stay or to be engaged or to join that company. When we look at data and we say the typical drivers of employee engagement and employee retention, it's not benefits, right? It's things like culture that you mentioned. It's things like career development. It's advancement. It's mentoring. It's a manager. That's really an opportunity, and those are still things an organization gives to its employees, but that's a broader category. That's total rewards. How can we optimize some of those things? How can we optimize development or career advancement in a way that's productive for the employee and also cost-effective to the organization? That's where it gets exciting because those are the things that in many cases matter more to an employee than you know a 5% match on, on the retirement plan. Both of you have touched on this, but I want just for the benefit of the audience listening to understand this. I want so I want you guys almost to summarize and reiterate. We've talked a lot about on this radio network about how we're pretty good at collecting, or it's pretty easy to collect data. 
but we're pretty lousy at doing anything meaningful or actionable with it. So you uh, clearly boast and have demonstrated that you make all this research and all this data very actionable. Just to clarify the audience so they're real clear, how do you do that? I think that starts with the type of question you ask. If we're trying to predict behavior, or if we're trying to understand what engages someone, what choices they would make, you can't ask them how satisfied they are, right? You can't ask them just a list of questions and say, which of these is important to you, right? Because it's meaningless. We want to get very, very specific, and we want to use a trade-off analogy or a trade-off approach to really understand how people make decisions. And by understanding, by starting with better data, we can then use that to predict an outcome and predict how an employee is going to behave. That's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick on SurveyMonkey a little bit. So a lot of organizations say, you know, we need to know this, so let's put together a SurveyMonkey and find it out. But well, what they get back is gobs and gobs of data. And do with it. it's not actionable. I mean, so, wow, that's great that we're able to touch so many people and ask them the question. But what does it mean if everyone thinks that everything should be the most important thing in their employee and, and a value proposition? Why do we ask these questions if we can't do anything with the answers? I don't want to pick on SurveyMonkey either. It's an important tool if you leverage it the right way, and there is a, certainly a use for it. What my biggest worry is that when an organization does that kind of survey, they're doing it because it checks off a box. All right, well, we have to pretend that we care about what our employees think and feel and all that. So let's do a survey. Then we can say, all right, we've clearly demonstrated that we care about you because we're seeking information. Mm-hmm. But that information is going in a binder on a shelf that's never going to be actionable. <laughs> right? even, even, even most market research yeah. right, is, sits on a shelf and collects dust right? because it's not actionable. Right. Right? There's very little, with most market research, there's very little discrimination in the data. Right, so if we ask somebody what's most important about about a computer, and they're going to tell us that everything is right—the price and the warranty and the brand and the, and the keyboard and the resolution—and when everything's important, how do you prioritize? Right. There's no difference in the data. Typically, we see if you think of all the research questions that you've ever completed, it's like a big grid. It's a grid of questions. There's the same scale at the top, and there's 15 or 20 questions, and everybody kind of goes down and they complete these questions. It's the same thing with an employee engagement survey. What we found is that. For 80% of people, 80% of the responses are essentially identical. If you rate everything as a four, you're rating everything as a four or five consistently through all those different questions, right? If you rate everything as a one, you're usually rating everything as a one or a two consistently for 80% of the questions. There's no difference in the data. All the data comes back and it's, it's all the same, right. right? And that's why I think we just employ or we just use a better approach. And it starts with the data. If you get better data, you're going to have better outcomes. You're going to be able to make it more actionable. You're going to actually be able to use it. Yeah. As I'm reflecting on the conversation, it sounds like to me the two real groundbreaking, game-changing things here that Bug Insights does is it turns the HR department to a predictive one versus a reactive one. Absolutely. And And I hope the market understands the real impact of that and how that changes everything, which then obviously feeds down to big challenges of recruiting good talent and retaining good talent. I think the other thing, too, is is that's a differentiator that most people have never realized can be differentiated before and done correctly and with real impact. So those are, are those the two big benefits of what you do? I mean, that's how I'm summing it up. Yeah, I would say that that is the benefits of working with us. And what we saw was an opportunity in the market and how many organizations have done things for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or however long and said, this is the right way of doing it. And it's not the wrong way. We've just enhanced that, how they do it. Well, guys, uh, as we've just uh, summed up here, it's game changing. You guys should write a book about this. We should. You know what? Actually, we did. We have a book out on Amazon and iTunes. It's called Total Rewards Optimization. 
It was written by Tim, myself, and a couple other colleagues from Bug Insights. And it is fascinating and everything you want to know about total rewards optimizations in there. And it can't be proven wrong because it is the only book on total rewards optimization. But it is fascinating, to be honest with you. And it's an easy read. We give it to our clients and they say, you know what, it, I wish I'd have read this before the process. But now after I've seen the movie, now I've read the book, I understand the book is better than the movie. But. <laughs> well, I hope they found other actors to play, to play, <laughs> yeah, the, play the two of you. Tim and I are definitely behind the curtain, guys. I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm played by uh, Brad Pitt. In the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, this is the real impactful work that I see you guys doing, but it, I would be remiss to not give you a chance to talk about some of the things you're seeing and doing in the market research side. So why don't you just share a couple thoughts there and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I think the a lot of the techniques and applications, we're kind of bringing back to the marketing space and really trying to help organizations optimize the design of products. We just wrapped up a study for a big utility company in Texas where they were launching a new product that's a bit of an extension for them. Really wasn't getting the traction and the penetration in the market that they were expecting and hoping for. They brought us in and we've been able to show them how you can optimize that deliver more value to the customer and just radically increase the sales and profit, right? Well, they're going to expect to get about 5.4 million in additional profit and twice the market share for, wow. for this new product within a short amount of time. They were making changes already to the product that was launched. Very cool. Gary, any thoughts on uh, market research? Just to reiterate what Tim said, it, it is an opportunity to, to use, if we, we are coming back to the future because we borrowed from market research to do this sure. work in human capital. Now we're going back to market research. But what we do different at Bug Insights is we really optimize. The same way we talked about optimized total rewards, we optimize the product and marry it to preferences. So we can tell a consumer walks in, these three things are not important to them. If you talk about those three things, you're going to lose that consumer. But these two things are extremely important to them. Let's not lose focus of those two things because that's what's going to sell this product. And so if you're a telemarketer or door-to-door salesman, whatever, a frontline salesman at a storefront, whatever it may be, you want to know what the consumer base, whether it's your, your region or whomever, is interested in buying. And so for ours, it was the project we did. It's fascinating stuff that people want good quality and pricing, but they don't want contracts when they're tied to a utility. Utilities have become more of a, a competitive en- environment. So organizations now, if you offer long-term contracts, it's hard to lock people in because people aren't in that mindset anymore. Mm-hmm. They're looking at, I'm not going to sign up for... Georgia Power and be with them for 50 years, I'm going to shop my utilities each month yeah. or year. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about with uh, benefits. If you say, well, we have uh, good quality, good customer service, and low cost, well, everyone's saying that. Mm-hmm. That's not a differentiator. Just like retirement, healthcare, and other benefits are, I mean, those are expected now, you know. So you know, I, I was working on a project. I had the chief people officer. It was for a financial company in New York. I had the chief people officer in the room. And I asked her, I said, What's different about your benefits? Why should someone work here and not work at that building right over there? And she says, you know, Tim, I can't tell you that. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. And she said, that's pretty sad, right? If I can't, I, I'm the head of HR yeah. at this 10,000 life organization. I can't tell you how we're different and unique in terms of what we offer employees, how we reward them. Well, that's pretty let terrible. Let me assure you. She is not the only <laughs> HR director who is, could not answer that question, and that's the whole point. All right. Well, gentlemen, this has been fascinating. Uh, we're, we are now out of time. Before I let you go, how can people contact you should they have questions, and where can they learn more about Bug Insights? 
Our website is buginsights.com. If you go there, our contact information is there. Uh, you can send an email to info at buginsights.com and it comes right to me. All right. Gary Spinks and Tim Gloa, co-founders of Bug Insights. Gentlemen, great to have you. Thanks, Thanks again for stopping by. Thanks, Todd. Thank All you. Right. Well, that wraps our conversation. Again, on behalf of my guests, Gary Spinks and Tim Gloa, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you next time on Intrepid Business.